This is the Jim Lebo Show, where we're diving into the truth about CBD oil, its many uses, benefits, and life-changing capabilities. Here's your host, Jim Lebo. And welcome back to everybody. This is the Jim Lebo Show, your host, Jim Lebo. And today we have in studio, which we are very lucky to have him in studio with us today, Wes Parks. Um, he uh, is licensed therapist in Fort Worth, and he has done and worked with a lot of the studies and followed along through uh, Alzheimer's, what's been going on with CBD, dementia, and how CBD is really making effect out there. Um, you know, in the marketplace today, we're noticing a lot of difference with a uh, different project that we're doing as well with cleanleafpharma.com. Uh, if you'd like to check out our website, I'll throw a little plug into there. But, Wes, it's nice to have you in studio, and and uh, you having a good day today so far? I am. It's a great day so far, Jim. Thanks for having me here. Uh, this is a really, really important topic because this is one of those areas where I think there's so much potential for a lot of great groundbreaking research, so many ways that we can be using alternative forms of medicine and more naturalistic and holistic approaches. And when I was doing my graduate coursework, I did a lot of neuropsychology studies. So I actually have a specialization in neuropsychology. So I've studied this and I follow it pretty closely because this is a of keen interest to quite a few of my clients. Well, and it's, you know what, it's it, it's a heavily overlooked area mm-hmm. because not due to, there's a lot of what we consider ourselves that are out there doing the work and the studies and making this stuff happen. We're pushing it out there to the media. We're pushing it out there to the doctors. We're pushing it out there to everywhere we can. Right. But we're getting that normal stopgap that we get in the industry out there. We know that this works. It's only going to be the length of the time. And that's the reason why... I, you know, in our company, in Clean Leaf, we're looking at it from the aspect of, of getting into it deeper, looking at it from every aspect mm-hmm. that's out there like, like you've been doing. Talk a little bit, you know, because most of the people that are the listeners out there really don't have an understanding. You know, today if you walk out there and you said hemp or you said CBD <laughs> and you said, you know, so let's, let's, get, let, let, let's take those couple steps back a little bit and let's tell the audience out there how... How we kind of got up to some of the studies and the areas of what you were doing and what you were actually able to see. So the most important thing that people need to remember is that this is, it's a lot about medicine and it's a lot about science, but it's also a lot about politics. So if you even think about just the history of this. This goes back to the 30s when we spearheaded this campaign, when we decided politically that marijuana was going to be this horrible, horrible thing that was capable of destroying the youth of America. There was this big congressional push dating back to the 30s and the 40s, and we have things like reefer madness, and we did this thing called marijuana analysis of youth, which was some quasi-study where we warned about the dangers of if we let our kids smoke weed, here's what was going to happen. down The road to hell was paved with joints. Yeah, or you grow a second head. Right, grow a second head or a forearms coming on my forehead. Exactly. And this became this national rallying cry against so many things. And what's important is put it in context. This was not too long after we were realizing, you know, maybe we shouldn't be selling heroin at the drugstore in the Sears Roebuck. Exactly. Maybe perhaps cocaine wasn't something we wanted to prescribe for everybody to just help them beat their blues. So this was at a time when a lot of things that are now illegal were first starting to become illegal. 
Unfortunately, we did this with a lot of pushback, and it, it was too immediate, and there wasn't a lot of science behind it because we didn't have a lot of really great medical science then like we have now. Now we have this great ability to study so many aspects of the brain, which is still the most misunderstood organ of the human body. It's the one we know the least about because you've got trillions of cells in here that talk to each other thousands of times a second through neurotransmitters and electrical impulses. And a cell on this side has to talk to a cell on this side and a thousandth of a second through a, like a game of telephone, sending signals from one cell to another. We really don't understand how all of that works yet. It's the, the last great frontier unexplored. So when we think about how these things can impact that organ, this single most valuable square foot of real estate you will ever own is right here. Right. We need a lot more research on this. That's what's really been lacking. But now the political climate is starting to shift, and we're getting to explore things in ways we haven't before. We're getting to look at the cannabinoids as a possible source of legitimate medicine, which we've always known it had the potential to be legitimate medicine. Okay. We're able to look at things like amphetamines. Uh, ecstasy is basically a, a version of an amphetamine. We're using that with veterans with PTSD and therapy. We're using ketamine, an animal tranquilizer. It's a party drug for microdosing it for depression. So we're on the cusp of great science right now. So your company wow. really has picked the perfect time to explore this. So because of that, people in my profession stay on top of this. We read the studies all the time. We have clients who come in all the time and ask questions. You know, if I smoke a joint, is it going to damage my brain? If we're passing this bowl around, is it good for me? Is it not good for me? Well, there's a lot of questions. I probably get a question about cannabinoids every single day. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, that's really kind of where I was in the beginning before I started this company. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't smoke marijuana. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of that type of stuff. And... You know, I was an athlete, and and I used to shake like I had Parkinson's disease. Wow. And I had another friend uh, at the time that went through therapy when I went through therapy, and uh, he had a different doctor, and that doctor told him that, you know, smoke weed. And I kept saying, nah, I don't know if I could do it. And then I went to a neurosurgeon <laughs> for a while, and I asked him a couple right. of times, and he's like, are you nuts? You know, you're taking so many Percocets and everything else that they're doing that. You know, the amphetamine side is, you know, is what's killing the country out there. And we look at all the problems that we have, and they don't realize that we're sitting here with the, the simple, easiest well, And I think answer. you, you kind of hit on it when you said Percocet. And I'm not yeah. calling out any one single drug or any one single company. But, you know, this is something, in theory, any of us could potentially grow in our backyard if we had the right talents and able to refine it, which I am not. I don't have that kind of chemistry brain, but your company does. Yay for you guys. Big Pharma can't really get a lock on this. Nope. So, of course, Big Pharma drives medical research. And when you're talking about using a potential alternative that cuts away at the profits of Big Pharma, you're going to make a lot of enemies. Big yep. Pharma gets half of Congress elected. So, of course, laws are always going to stay in place against marijuana, which has been proven to be no more addictive. Well, not addictive at all. No more dangerous than alcohol or tobacco, which I can get at the corner store. But weed, I got to meet somebody in a back alley for? Yeah. Exactly. I can get prescriptions for narcotics that would drop a horse and still drive my car, but weed is the problem? Hmm. I think big pharma might be a problem. Well, and, and, and that really is. It's, you know, it, up there in Washington, we know how corrupt it is. We've seen everything that's come out from every angle that's out there. Right. And you know, I'll tell you with my son, I mean, it, it is, a, you know, when you're talking about the brain, he's, you know, I, I met with the head surgeon at Parkland. Uh, you know, back when my son was, you know, there for a long time. And he made it very clear that this is one of the most difficult areas because 
how many people do you have walking in the door saying, you know what, I'd like to donate my brain today for right. a study. <laughs> You know, it, it just doesn't work that way. And the ones who do, you don't want that particular brain. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because it may not still be clicking. But, right. You know, so, uh, you know, so, yeah, so, the, you know, there is a lot of work to do. And I, I think this is a very key area because the scientific study states that the amount of people that are going to potentially have dementia, you know, Alzheimer's is, is going to be so much you know, some of the more recent numbers I've heard that one in three people who live past the age of 70 will devo- develop some form of mild cognitive impairment, whether it's a diagnosable dementia like Alzheimer's or not. And those who live past the age of 80, it goes up to two in three and one in three will actually develop some form of a dementia, diagnosable yep. dementia. So as our life expectancies have grown, which they have, thank you, modern science, so have the problems that accompany older age. And mild cognitive impairment is not something we want to joke around about because it doesn't stay mild forever. No, and this is one of the largest groups that are coming through as far as the, you know, back in the days. I mean, people had, you know, four or five kids at the time. So now these, this age is all there, these, you know. And this is a group that we need to be thinking about how to help because it's a captive group of people. They desperately need some help. And at some point, you and I are going to be there right alongside them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think, I think a lot of the, the, the younger group below has an understanding, uh, you know, of where we really can go with some of the stuff. And, and today... It's nice because you can get a campaign and you can get a movement and you get something happening very quickly today than you could years ago. Right. You know, so it's it, it is going to make the difference across the country. And I think we're what over what about thirty states now that mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form are twenty five percent of the population now in some form or fashion can legally get cannabinoids. Yes. Either through medical or through recreation. Twenty five percent of the country, and that's only going to grow. Yeah, and and the biggest thing, um, and I think we're going to be coming up to a break here in a, in a few minutes, but luckily you're on for a couple segments with <laughs> right. us, so we're going to get a lot of time to talk. The Jim Lebo Show will be right back. And we're back. Here's your host, Jim Lebo. And we're back on. We're back on with Wes, and I know everybody else is still well out there uh, listening. Um. So let's talk a little bit, you know, we, you know, we opened up, you know, with, you know, dimensions, some of the mm-hmm. other aspects, you know, sure. uh, Alzheimer's as well. And let's, uh, you know, um, schizophrenia is, uh, in, in a lot of ways, I know they've come a long way with different procedures and things that they can do, uh, you know, and medication and stuff with schizophrenia. I actually have, a, I know a friend that actually has this issue and. It's something that we're going to look uh, deep into, but uh, I'm curious to hear from your side some of the studies and the things that you've been involved in, and and uh, you know what, what what's your thought process? You know, schizophrenia is a disease that's been around for a long time, and it's a really really insidious illness because a lot of times the people who have schizophrenia don't have any understanding of what is going on in their brain, and basically their brain has become their enemy. And they often can't tell the difference between what is real and what is not, and they need the rest of us around them to provide a feedback loop. So, in fact, one of the things we talk about with schizophrenia is it really doesn't bother them near as much as it bothers you and I to watch. And what you've got there is a severely damaged brain, and we don't know as much as we would like to know about schizophrenia about what the causes are. 
You can get schizophrenia after a traumatic brain injury. You can get um, a substance-induced schizophrenia. For example, if you use a certain combination of illicit substances and your brain does not react well to it, it can create enough damage that you become schizophrenic. There's the dopamine hypothesis that perhaps it's too much or too little dopamine, which is certainly a receptor that your group is very interested in. There, there's lots of theories about why people develop schizophrenia, and when you look across a range of people who have schizophrenia, if I put 100 schizophrenics in a room, they would not all ex exactly act the same way or look the same way. It's going to be different person by person by person. So there's not even really a prototypical schizophrenia. Hmm. So it makes it really hard to understand it. And once again, this is a situation of trial and error. There's no drug for any condition, any mental illness. There's no drug that we have a surefire we know. There's not a blood test that tells us what drug is going to work. And we can't measure metabolites yet to see what worked and what didn't. So short of drilling like a core sample of your brain to know for sure, and by the time we kill you, medicating you seems a little pointless. So once again, we're all guinea pigs for big pharma with these medications. And antipsychotics are really potent medications that have a lot of very nasty side effects. So how, when you look at the brain itself uh, and, and the differences in it, if you were to take, uh, let's just say that um, you have a brain injury, mm -hmm. okay, or you have, you know, schizophrenia, whatever it might be. And when you take a pill, like, like for instance, like when I take a pill, it's telling me with the chronic pain that I have on my body, it's telling me that it goes to my brain and tells me that you shouldn't feel that pain that's in that area. Right. Because basically there's two major receptors that, that run through the brain, correct? Yes. And, and determine where you're going to be. So when you have schizophrenia, how, in, with the marijuana side of it, when you look at like a receptor one, receptor two, how is it affecting... Is it working well from that side of it, or, or are we seeing more of a, a drawback uh, with a schizophrenia? It's too soon to tell with any certainty. What we're seeing is when we use, when we treat schizophrenia, especially if we're looking along the lines of the dopamine hypothesis, we're looking at, you have cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2. CB1 um, really isn't, it's, it's more in the pain system. CB2 is the one we look at for brain function. A lot of this we don't really understand, but we know that when you stimulate CB2, like through cannabinoids, you do alter dopamine levels, but you also alter lots of other levels too. But would, would it make a difference with that patient then with a dopamine pill as well with, well, the, with there's, the medicine, there's, or there's, is that too much? There's not really a dopamine pill per se. Well, there there the are ADHD pills. ADHD pills, the Adderalls. The, well, know. those are more the psychostimulants that can it produce, it can help stimulate dopamine or can help change the way your brain Correct. absorbs the dopamine. Possibly, but we don't know. But what we're looking at is not necessarily, if I'm looking at is a cannabinoid something one of my clients should consider, I'm not necessarily looking at it from is this going to 100% effectively treat all of their schizophrenic symptoms. Oh, yeah. Maybe what we should be thinking about is, is this something that we can add to their treatment cocktail that might alleviate some of the symptoms or make some of the other symptoms more palatable? One of the things we frequently see, people joke, you know, you smoke a joint, what do you get? You get really hungry, right? It stimulates the appetite. People on antipsychotic medications frequently have zero appetite. So they, w they could potentially use it for everything. Right, potentially. People who are on antipsychotic medications, or they go off and on medications, tend to have a lot of accidents. It's a lot of chronic pain. Your brain is damaged. Schizophrenia is damaged to the brain, and there are, there's physical pain that can go along with a lot of this. 
Sometimes people even have tactile hallucinations. That's the rarest of the hallucinations. And if the tactile is, the, is pain, well, couldn't this alleviate some of that pain because we're blocking some pain receptors? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? What about the ones where it decreases their agitation and anxiety? You can't put a schizophrenic on every medication under the sun to treat every potential symptom. You can't have 14 antipsychotics and antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. The liver can only take so much before you blow out that liver and you further damage the brain. What if there was a more natural alternative that could help improve mood and reduce anxiety in addition to these other medications? So maybe instead of taking six pills, they took one. Right. Wouldn't that be lovely? There's a lot of potential there, but it's not being studied as much as it should because, once again, it's not a priority for the policymakers right now because it's, you know, the big evil. But I can tell you in my own clinical experience with my clients who have schizophrenic illnesses or other psychotic illnesses who do regularly use cannabinoids, by and large, they are as stable as the ones who do not, and they tend to report better functioning in their activities of daily living. They're getting up and going to work more. They're able to hold jobs longer. Right. They're able to maintain relationships with their family. Now, I have to admit, caveat, scientific standpoint, this is not a conclusive scientific study. This is based on what I have seen in my practice. So it's sure. anecdotal, but it's pretty powerful. Well, and, and you also know as well, too, that it doesn't matter if you smoke it, if you, if you eat it, every possible way, if it's in a tincture, it, it affects the body in a different way. So we have a lot of work to do out there you know, in this industry to still figure out what are the right mixtures. I mean, my goal is to get to the point to where we have the patient, we have the doctor, we have the nurse, and we get a little bit deeper down into how we can really work with the patient to get them in, in, in a better situation if it means mixing a little bit of pharma but a little bit of where we're at to get to the person stabilized and eventually move them down off of that and get them to where they're feeling good because... It's, it's hard when you look at, you know, fibromyalgia or, or people that are in very tough, you know, we talked yesterday about like, you know, epileptic seizures. Yes. Okay. You know. Which can kill you. It can kill you. And, and, and I say to myself, it's the simplest thing right now. I'm in the development of doing a suppository. What's the fastest way in your body? Your rear end. Right. Because you absorb it in the bloodstream very yeah. quickly that way. So why would you want to put your fingers up near the mouth? when that person's having an epileptic <laughs> seizure to give them a nose spray or something when you can give, you can automatically stop a seizure like that right. with a suppository. <laughs> okay, I hadn't thought about the visual of that, but uh, fantastic. But I mean, but seriously, I mean, it's the fastest way. You know, I watched my son have a two and a half hour grand mal seizure. I mean, oh, that I, had you know, to be so thinking, scary for you. Yeah, I'm saying to myself, if I would have had, if I would have known more today, they, they didn't have, you know, the internet and all the other things that they have today where people can research something very quickly you know, and get to the point where it's at. But, you know, my job now, I feel I've been put into this world is to make sure that I save somebody else from where they're at. You know, it's interesting, Jim, when I'm hearing you talk about this, you're, you're talking about not clearly replacing one thing with another. You're talking about working in concert, which is very much an Eastern medicine philosophy of using natural things from the earth in addition to whatever else we need. It seems to work really well in that part of the world to incorporate these more holistic approaches. Well, when you look at, you know, down in Costa Rica with the, with the cancer facility, it's all about nutrients. It's all about the natural plant side. It's all about, you know, you know getting the body because the body recovers every three months. It's a matter of where you are as a body to get yourself recovered into that spot. That's a really, really great point. And I think anything that you can do that makes your body healthier and happier 
can start with the mind. There's this really, really strong mind-body connection. So if you have a flu, for example, and you have depression, your flu will take longer to recover because of your depression. So when you're talking about that, that holistic approach, I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, and I really, I really think it's going to be the, you know, the wave of the future for you know the spots that we're going, and 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 it's important. It's it's important with the research that we do. It's important with everything that you're doing, and uh, we're going to get ready to go to a commercial break here. I know you're hanging on for one more. Segment. The Jim yep, Lebo Show will return shortly, and we're back. Here's your host, Jim Lebo. And we are back, and I'm back with Wes Parks. And, uh, um, you know, when you were listening to the end of the last conversation, we were kind of getting in, you know, with the schizophrenia and Alzheimer's. So, um, you know, we're going to go back into talking a little bit more detailed uh, because I think that, uh, as we had talked about again, you know, the, the, the biggest struggle that we have really in our industry right now to push this along is the educational part. Um, you know, because as I said before, the uh, the difference in the ages that are out there, if you walked out to the middle of the street and you asked somebody standing there on the street and you said, you know, what is hemp? What's the first thing they're going to say? Uh, they're going to think of a joint or weed. Exactly. Yep. And, it, and it's not even that. No. You know, it's just the byproducts actually as a supplement of what everybody should be putting in their body every single day. That's what's going to help Alzheimer's and everything else. You know, so... Um, you know, when you look at, when, you know, we were talking about the, the dual receptors that, you know, mm-hmm. that people need to understand, you know, receptor one, receptor two, uh, as we were talking about, one falls through the pain side of it, one manages the brain side of it. You know, on, uh, on Alzheimer's, what, what do you feel, um, you know, what are you seeing as far as the research that's being done? How is it affecting uh, the receptors? Because we know with the the weed structure we have an indica we have a hybrid and we have a sativa you know for the Mm -hmm. most part of what people are using out there because people that are going into uh today into the store you know into the dispensaries and they're buying a product they have absolutely no clue really what they're buying they're just going hey what's the coolest thing what's the best looking thing that you got in there and if they have pain or they have issues they have different things they they don't understand that they can talk to the people in Mm -hmm. there and they can really find a better avenue than just satisfying themselves enough to you know to either get high eat enough food and then eventually crash out well i think (laughs) the thing that people also don't think about is ask experts so people who work in stores where these things are sold are by and large experts because they study this you if you you go to best buy you'd ask them a question about buying a computer what's the difference but if you're still not sure you're not convinced talk to a medical or mental health professional we all had to learn about this in school you cannot get a graduate degree in the medical or mental health sciences that you don't study a lot of psychopharmacology that includes this that's how we can talk about cb1 and cb2 receptors and how this impacts alzheimer's right now because if you have alzheimer's which by the way accounts for 60 to 70 percent of all cases of dementia alzheimer's wow that's scary one of the things you're looking at is plaque on the brain mm-hmm. now we have lots of great medications that enhance cognitive performance like namenda and aricept and that's great for increasing synaptic connectivity it doesn't really do anything for removing the plaque from the brain but the salk institute has been studying using cannabinoids as a way to remove plaque from the brain without damaging the cells where the plaque has been building up. That's really promising because Alzheimer's and MS for that matter, it's about plaque on the brain and demyelination of the cells. So if you can remove the plaque, 
why wouldn't you do that? And because cannabinoids can stabilize mood, reduce anxiety, and reduce agitation, which are things that are very common in patients with Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety, agitation, out-of-control behavior, why would we not research this more and consider this? Because Alzheimer's is terminal. Exactly. It's going to kill you. It will gr gradually worse until your brain starves itself. It starves the rest of your body and you die a horrific, painful death. If we can forestall that, why wouldn't we consider it? Yeah. Have they been able to, um, as far as, you know, the cannabinoids, obviously, you know, there's roughly about 85, they say, out there. I think there's probably more in the 200s or even higher. But That's just what we've been able to identify so far. Right. So w would you say that, you know, we've been able to zero in today on, you know, some of the cannabinoids that are really the strength of, uh, you know, with Alzheimer's, you know, uh, uh, exactly solving some of those issues? As far as zeroing in and exactly solving, science isn't done in a vacuum, so we can't ever say anything with 100% certainty. But the Salk Institute wasn't the only study about how the endocannabinoid system can be used as a reparative tool with Alzheimer's. There's lots of studies going on right now about how we can do this. And these aren't just studies funded by your local weed dealer. These are studies going through the National Institutes of Health, the Salk Institute, peer-reviewed studies that meet the, the, the threshold for the best science that we have. We're identifying stuff every year that has great potential. Right now we know 75, 80 cannabinoids. I think you're right. I think we're going to find it's more in the triple digits easily. We're trying to figure out which ones have the greatest impact. Most of what we're researching is coming from sativa because that's just what we've traditionally worked from. But who knows? We need more research. We need more dollars pumped into this. We need to loosen up those federal strings and those regulations so we have more options. And when you're dealing with a terminal population anyway, why not let them? Why not let this fund the research, grow the research? Yeah, and it's interesting to see, you know, that there's so many people out there that, you know, the second that they start to see, like, any change or any, you know, conditional uh, with a, a parent or a friend or whoever it might be, why they would not get CBD started into their body, uh, I, don't, I don't understand it. I think, you know, it's still just the stigma of what it is, because when you say CBD, whether you're talking oil, wax, anything, the only thing people still picture is somebody sitting around at a party smoking a joint. That's what people still see. The old Cheech and Chong. The old Cheech and Chong. They do not see the potential of if we, we extract these great compounds out of here and put them to peer-reviewed, scientifically validated work for us, what can we get? We've got to do a better job of educating the public about what CBD is. Exactly. That's the issue. And in order to do that, we have to start early, early on, waiting till somebody's in their 60s or 70s. That mindset's already there. We need to be talking about this in 20s and 30s. This should be something that you're learning in high school and college. Yeah. When you're studying biology and chemistry, this should be covered. When mental and medical health professionals are learning their psychopharmacology, they should not be told nothing about just the dangers. And this is a gateway drug, which, by the way, has been refuted study after study, about 700 yeah. studies. Yeah, it's but that ridiculous. is still what we are taught. Yeah. It's 2017. We can do better. Well, it all goes back to the reefer madness where they wanted to make everybody feel like you're going crazy because you're doing this. And they know... You know, it goes back because, you know, of the hemp days and, you know, they wanted cotton and everything else. And that's the reason why, you know, things are pulled off. There was a couple other things in there that we don't need to go into. but Yeah, but, you yeah. know, it's important to note that even 
going back, you know, it, not just the last couple of years, but even going back to the early 2000s, we've done studies that show very little, if any, long-term damage of even heavy daily use. Yeah. So we have the science that says we should be exploring this. Oh, oh definitely. It, it's political at this point. Well, and I don't even think technically there is actually even a death from straight marijuana. There has not been a single death from overdose of marijuana. It is yeah. medically impossible. Yeah, they, they'd love to shove it into other things here and there. And, right. You know, it's, and, it's been linked to death in other ways. When yeah. you use marijuana with something else and that substance killed you or the interaction. But straight, somebody getting high from weed, no, we don't have a death. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you say to most of your patients on the CBD side? Um, well, so I don't have... Are they, you know, when you do these studies, I mean, are the patients, are they aware of, you know, the difference between, are they educating them? Or are they just saying, hey, come on into this study, sit down, you know, let's review it because we're getting ready to well, do a study. When you do studies that are funded by grant money like NIH money, the the informed consent and the education you go through, you think about the last time you bought a house, you know that stack of papers you signed? That yeah. is nothing compared to what you go through in an NIH grant-funded study. That stack is about like this. You sign until it feels like your arm is really going to fall off. They cover things for sometimes days at a time. You are absolutely told the risks, the benefits. That is part of informed consent in medical research. We covered in such great detail. So you do know. Now, of course, you don't know if you're going to be on the clinical group or the placebo group, but you know what the risks and benefits are going to be either way. So it is covered. The issue is there's not enough research. You, there's only so many studies that you can get onto. We have a lot of people who could participate in these studies if there were more studies. Yeah. Well, and that and that's that's really the important piece that's out there. And, you know, we need to be able the, there's no way to educate because you're not going to get the TVs and everybody else to educate it from our side of it. We're going to have to do all the work. We're going to have to do the teaching from every side up all the way. And this is going to be a tough one on the Alzheimer's side. So um, we're going to get ready to go to another break. We will come back right here soon on the Jim Join Lebo. us next time for another episode of the Jim Lebo Show. Jim Lebo is the president of Clean Leaf Pharmaceuticals. Shop the online store for CBD capsules, e-juice, lotion, and more at cleanleafpharma.com. Cleanleafpharma.com.